episode of Let's Talk Deer, brought to you by Grandpa Ray Outdoors, owned by Mr. John O'Brien. John's a Midwestern guy. He's around the Minnesota, Wisconsin area. He's been an agronomist uh, for over 29 years. So he knows seed, he knows soil, and he knows what white-tailed deer need. John has a large seed company, Grandpa Ray Outdoors, but also he's in educating. He's one of the best educator, seminar, platform speaker, uh, communicator for soil, water, and cover. The soil brings the food, the water hydrates, and the cover keeps them safe. So that's what Whitetail needs. So any questions at all about seed, go to GrandpaRayOutdoors.com. Let's Talk Deer does receive compensation from Grandpa Ray Outdoors for mentioning him on my show. Welcome to Let's Talk Deer. This is Bruce Hutchin, your host, and it's a privilege to hand, head out to Dancing Springs Ranch, and I'm meeting up with Ron Spomer. Now, Ron is known in the industry. He's written books. He's he's written hundreds if not thousands of articles and uh, Ron and I got to know each other a little bit uh, of late and I asked him to come on the show to talk about primarily uh, calibers for white-tailed deer. Now you know most of my shows are about archery and has been centered on that but I, a lot of people hunt white-tails with rifles. So Ron welcome to the show and let's get started. Hi Bruce how you doing? Well, I'm doing great after my hip, and you you supported yeah. me and, and gave me some high fives, and, and that's a great thing. Yeah, that's pretty amazing the way you recovered from that. I was uh, dumbfounded. I thought you'd be laid up for a week or two or three or four. <laughs> no, and I went to PT today, and they said, you know, you're doing everything you need to do. Just yeah. keep doing it. You'll be ready to hunt deer here in a couple months. Well, I was hoping to hunt turkeys, but we got we got this virus thing floating around the country, so I don't know if I'm going to head to Kansas, Nebraska. You know, I had a couple hunts. Um, actually, I got invited down to Alabama and to hunt down there and to fly down there and so forth and so on. So I've kind of curtailed all those, um, Where? you know, until we get the old clear that, um, you know, I can jump in the truck or jump in a, a jet and, and take and get down there. Yeah, I think and, that's a big precaution to take. Well, it is. At, at my age, and I'm at risk. There's no question about that. And at Dancing Springs Ranch, your your social distance is just because <laughs> of where you live. <laughs> yeah, that, we're nicely isolated here. <laughs> Very people nicely. Ask, <laughs> people ask me if I'm socially isolated. I said, I'm always socially isolated. <laughs> now, was that was that by plan? I know you're a South Dakota boy, and and um, you know I know you headed out further west. Was that by plan that you 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 picked up some ground and and yeah. decided to you know make make yeah. a ranch out of it? Yeah, yeah, it surely was. I mean, I always wanted to ever since I was a kid on the farm, and I got off the farm. I wanted to get back on it, not necessarily to farm, but for wildlife. So that's why I moved to the Rocky Mountain West. South Dakota was a wonderful state to grow up in and learn to hunt because of the pheasants and all the waterfowl. A deer came on as I was uh, reaching teen years. We suddenly started getting whitetails in that farm country where we never used to have them. But we didn't have elk and sheep and all those dream animals that most excited hunters get uh, involved with or hope to, you know. So I thought, well, I just need to get out west. But then you get involved in your career and you're working and 
pretty hard to pick up ground. You just can't afford it until you get older. And <laughs> that's where I am now. But my wife and I saved up and she inherited a little bit of uh, land when her folks died and I did the same. So we essentially just traded the farm grounds we had back in the Midwest for some much less productive ground out here. But we're in the mountains and we have mule deer and elk and we even have moose in the backyard. Um, lots of birds, pheasants, uh, sharp tails, ruffed grouse, even a few blue grouse. And it's just remarkable, the variety out here. So, yeah, it's by design to live out in the country. I mean, what country boy doesn't want to have that kind of access? Bruce, I can literally walk out the door with my shotgun, whistle up the dog, and within 100 yards of the house, get into pheasants and sharp-tailed grouse. And in deer season, we just head out the door with our rifles and go. Pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And, you know, the warm-up we talked about, you know, um, how things were back in, you know, we're going to go back to the 50s and 60s and 70s. And hunting uh, has definitely changed. There's, there's no question, question about it. And, you know, let's just go back to those dates where, you know, I remember as a young kid, I would grab my 20 gauge, would be in the corner, and I get home from school. And my mama said, um, you know, a squirrel or a, a rabbit or a grouse would be awful awful handy for supper and mm -hmm. uh, so I would go out literally just go out and climb the hill and go to where I knew the birds were or the squirrels were and and half an hour later I would I was back at home dressing out <laughs> to the game yeah well that's just the way life was back in the days when we all lived closer to the land we didn't think anything special about it uh, we just took advantage of it I think the way dozens and hundreds of generations before us it's only, as you mentioned, in recent years that things have become so compartmentalized. People live their lives in little compartments. You're, you're at work, you're at home with a family in suburbia or in the city, and you have to carve out special time to leave that environment to go to what we would consider everyday environment out in the country. So, yeah, that, that's a, a change, and I don't think it's one for the better, but one has to, I guess, work around with what situations are given to us. You know, when, when somebody calls you up and says, hey, you know, I want you to write an article on um, the new 6.5 Creedmoor, um, how do you mold that into who you are? Oh, boy. You know, I don't necessarily think about molding it to who I am. I always consider what the reader wants or potentially would like to know. So I'll take my experiences over the decades of hunting and shooting lots of different cartridges and then try to compare those, keeping in mind what most people would be familiar with. For instance, uh, 30-06, a 270, a 308. There, there are benchmarks, there are points from which we can all uh, approach a new cartridge with some understanding. So, you know, if you just start writing esoterically about this 6.5 Creedmoor, and you don't tie it into any previous experiences that most of us have shared. It makes it a little bit tougher. So, yeah, I can talk about, hey, this new 6.5 Creedmoor is just a heck of a lot like a, a cartridge that was around since 1892, <laughs> the, the 6.5 by 55 Swede. So it's a proven cartridge. It's in a different shape, but it drives the same bullets at roughly the same velocities. It just has a few modern updates that really help with longer range performance because of the faster twist barrels, the longer bullets that you can use, um, and uh, a shorter cartridge for a short action rifle. You can make it a little bit stiffer. And, you know, there are a lot of small changes that don't make a heck of a lot of difference. 
especially for a hunting cartridge, but for precision shooting, it certainly does. So you bring all those things together and explain how they work and what those differences are and what the benefits might be of one cartridge over another. And I think people can much more easily grasp what's going on. You do that well, too, in all the articles I've read. You know, it, it just makes sense. Now, there's some people say, well, you should go on more into, you know, how you're going to shape the shoulder or you're going to, um, you know, use what powder and the different powders. I mm. mean, Lance Hakes has so many powders, and you have to find the powder that fits your rifle or, or the bullet or the cartridge. Right. Yeah, a lot A lot of folks are going to complain that I didn't go deep enough into something. But if you go too deep and you get a little, it's just a little too far out there for the average reader. So I don't know, it's difficult to strike a balance. But I, I tell guys who complain that I'm not going deep enough into some of this stuff that there are always new shooters out there who don't know everything you know. Plenty of my readers know more than I do about this stuff. But then there are young folks coming up or even middle-aged guys who've really never gotten into guns and shooting and hunting until now. So you can't just ignore them and start writing as if you've been at it for 40 years and you're designing custom ammunition. So I think the important thing is to remember that we are all in this together. What really bugs me about social media is that you get these complainers who always try to find something wrong. And I don't mind having people tell me what I didn't do right because my objective is to provide good, solid information, truth, and accuracy. So if I do something wrong, I'd love them for tell me, hey, you got this wrong. We don't want to steer people wrong here. But when they start whining and complaining about silly little things and running one another down because they use a certain cartridge that somebody else doesn't use, or you use the wrong bullet, you don't know anything, I always tell them, hey, guys, whose side are you on? We've already got the anti-hunters out there hammering on us and the anti-gunners, and now you're fighting with each other. This just doesn't make a lot of sense. We need to support one another and share information and have discussions, not arguments. Yeah, I, I wish we could find um, a way through this. I've been on the air for over five years and, you know, over 650 shows, and and this subject comes up a lot where Somebody says, well, I feel this way, and this is the way it is, and sometimes it's just from tradition, uh, 300 Savage, and that's what they've used all their life, and they don't need any other gun. And then somebody says, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. But um, to a man and to a woman and to a young person, we've got to be our own best friends, period. Yeah, good point. You know, and there's obviously a lot of these cartridges work. Just the, the same way as a lot of different deer hunting tactics work. But you get some folks that just think it's their way or the highway, and they somehow just love to argue and fight with other people about these things. I always say, look, just share the information, and if it's useful to you, absorb it, take advantage of it. If you think it's a bunch of hooey, just move on to somewhere else. You don't have to fight with people about it. Yet mankind loves to... Uh... Loves the I call it Ford and Chevy. Well, I have a Ford, you have a Chevy. <laughs> yeah. There's there's still transportation, and that's yeah. the, the thing. I try to reach common ground when I get in the conversation. I said, okay, yeah, you're out there. The deer's in front of you. You pull the trigger, and everything else being equal, the deer's going to go down. He doesn't care if it's a Savage, a Remington, a Winchester, right. Right. Uh, you know, uh, 
or whether it be it, it doesn't matter. If if you do your job, that bullet down that animal. Period. Yeah, and, but the flip side of that is too many guys I hear from will also say doesn't matter what you bother even writing about this stuff for because they all work. And yes, that's true. I've written before that the best deer rifle is the one that you like. Doesn't matter if it's a 30-30 or a 25-30 or a 300 Win Mag or a 28 Nosler. It doesn't matter if you like it and it works for you. Yes, it works. The difference, though, is not that one bullet is going to kill an animal and the other one isn't. It's what that rifle's performance does for the way you hunt. You probably don't need to be wandering the woods with a 416 Rigby to shoot a deer, but you probably don't want to be using a 22 long rifle either, right? So I think what I write about and what I would like my readers to absorb are the simple ballistic realities of different cartridges and bullets and velocities. That's what's important. It's not whether or not that particular bullet at that velocity can or cannot kill a deer better than any other. It's that you find yourself to be a more effective hunter and shooter with that particular combination. Now, there are a lot of guys who aren't going to tolerate the recoil of a 338 Winchester Magnum. Great cartridge for killing things, obviously. But if you can't hit it, if you flinch, if it hurts your shoulder, if you've got a detached retina, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons that people don't want to absorb recoil, not just because we're a bunch of wimps. Um, well, then they need good, solid information on what the alternatives are. What can you shoot that's going to be effective and not beat you up so you can be a precision shooter and still get your deer? And obviously, the fact that a lot of people over the years have killed a lot of deer with 223 Remingtons, 222 Remingtons, even 22 Hornets where they're legal. You know, obviously, these little cartridges can do the job. They might not be ideal, but for the certain hunter, they could be. And those are the things we need to consider. How does this stuff actually work? I break it down to, you know, what am I going to hunt? What's the terrain I'm going to hunt them in? And what's probably the longest distance I'm going to have to shoot? Yeah, yeah, that's a good approach. Those, those are my three things. And mm -hmm. I'm fortunate to have the gear that they go, okay, I'm going to go on a deer drive and it's going to be brushy because I'm going to be pushing. I'm not going to be sitting on a ridge watching. And so it's going to be quick. It's going to be able to move. And um, either a 30-30 or I, I love my little 280 mountain rifle. I just, that's, yeah. that's my favorite little rifle. Just a 280. I've killed a lot of deer with that from, you know, a couple hundred yards to, you know, 50 yards. Yeah. And, and they weren't running. Um, but you know, I boom, and they're they're down. And you know, of late, you know, I'm just really comfortable with with that cartridge, and that's why I use it. Yeah, yeah, and that's and again, getting back to if the rifle works for you, if your dad used it and your grandpa and you use it and it never fails and you've got faith in it, bingo, that's the one you want to use. But your approach is, I think, a little better than just tradition. You know, it's been proven. You've used it enough and you realize that you've got what you need for close range. You've got a cartridge and a bullet that can easily perform out to 300 and even 400 yards if you need to go that far. I mean, that 280 is a great all-around cartridge. 
You know, and that brings up this idea of one gun to rule them all, as I often say. <laughs> you know, it's an, old, <laughs> it's an old concept, but it's been proven for so long. You know, you look at that old 757 Mauser. That thing's been around since around the 1892 or five or somewhere in that range. And it has been used all around the world. And all it is is it is a seven millimeter. So obviously it, it throws a 0.284 inch diameter bullet, same as your 280. And it's not super fast, but it's about like the uh, seven millimeter 08 Remington, which is just a, a neck down version of the 308 Winchester. But that old 757 has been used for tigers in India back in the early 20th century, lions in Africa. A gentleman, a commercial ivory hunter by the name of Karamojo Bell, who hunted in Uganda primarily, or what is now Uganda, he took something like 1,100 elephants over his career. 800 of them, roughly, were taken with a 757 Mauser shooting 173-grain grain full metal jacket bullet. So you think about an elephant gun, what do you have to use? A minimum of a 375 H&H Magnum. And most guys are going to prefer a 416 or a 458 or even a 500 of some kind. My gosh, they're just massive cartridges that throw 400 to 5600 grain bullets because you're shooting a 12,000 pound animal. And here's a guy doing it with a 173 grain bullet that doesn't make as much downrange energy as a 30 6 And you get a guy arguing about whether the OT6 is any good anymore. Well, of course it is. You know, all these cartridges that, that push bullets weighing anywhere from about 120 grains up to 220 grains, somewhere between 2,600 feet per second up to 3,200 feet per second. This is a pretty broad range, but that puts us right in the ballpark for most modern bottlenecked cartridges. And by modern, I mean something that's been around for 100, 120 years, not the old straight walls. So, you know, that's a lot of real estate, and we've got a lot to choose from. So depending on how deep your interest runs towards the ballistic end of this, the guns and the shooting part of it, rather than the hunting tactics, you can get more or less deeply involved in the ballistics and the performance of these cartridges. So let's say that, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm part of the three R recruit, retrain or reactivate. And so, you know, I hunted as a kid, got married, got a job. Now I'm realizing I want to go hunting again because I want organic meat. I just want to put meat on my table. Absolutely. No, no trophies. I could care less if if it's a doe, if it's a cow, elk, whatever. I, I, I'm going to shoot it because I'm going to bring it home, process it, and um, we're going to have meat for a while. Yes, and sir. So let's just stick right on the whitetail, and let's stick in, in the Midwest because we all know that there's whitetail out west. Uh, but let's just stay in Midwest, and then we can go down south if we want, just because of the terrain's different and the flora and fauna are different, everything a little bit different. Um, so I'm a Midwestern hunter. I'm 40 years old, and I don't have a mentor. Mm. I would suggest he got a mentor or she got a mentor. You know, what would you say to them? As far as which cartridge to shoot? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And And while we're talking cartridge, let's put the rifle in there too, because – what I see too many guys making it for a mistake these days is going with these extra heavy, bulky, long-range rifles. 
you know, they're a lot of fun. Everybody's thrilled about this idea that you can throw a bullet a thousand yards and hit your target. And a skilled marksman can do that with the proper gear and the proper training. But I don't consider it hunting. It's shooting. Now, if you have to shoot a deer a thousand yards away to fill that freezer and it's legal where you are, I say, okay, get the gear and go for it. But boy, I sure don't recommend that anyone get themselves a nine to 10 pound rifle with a 26 to 30 inch long barrel, big heavy thing, and then stick a scope on it that's like a six to 32 power. Crazy. You don't need that for deer hunting. I mean, there's a reason that deer rifles over the century evolved into what is uh, typically, think of a Remington Model 700, 22 to 24 inch barrel, weighs somewhere between six and eight pounds before you put a scope on it. And then with scopes, I think you wanna stay in the ballpark too. Something from about two power or three power up to 10 or 12, maybe 14 these days. But I always tell guys when you're looking through a scope that's 10 power magnification, that means everything you look at appears to be 10 times closer than it really is. So if you're looking at a deer 500 yards away, which is a long, long shot, it actually looks like it's 50 yards away at 10 power. If you were just looking in your, your naked eye, it would be like, if you can't hit a deer with open sights, no scope at all at 50 yards, you really uh, need to be more practice here, not a bigger scope. So when you've got a smaller scope and a more light, compact, balanced rifle, you can react more naturally, I think, as a predator. You can you can carry the rifle farther and longer. You can whip into action more quickly in case you have to get a quick shot off. You know, you're not just trying to lumber through unlimbering this giant rifle with with a bipod already attached, adding another pound or two to it, and lying down on the ground and dialing your scope and all these all this extra work that you really don't need to do. You need to concentrate on being a hunter, like a lion. When it sees its prey, it doesn't have to look around and turn dials and, and make sure its batteries are working. It just goes into hunting mode, focuses on its animal, and uses its tools, which muscles, bones, strength, and stalking until it's close enough to launch its attack. But with a rifle, that's in an appropriate cartridge and you can handle it quickly. You focus on that animal, you look for a clean shooting opportunity, he's broadside, he's in an opening through the trees, all you have to do is get the rifle up and shoot. He's inside of 100 yards, I've practiced enough, I could even shoot him offhand. I don't have to lie down and get out a bipod and all this stuff. Those are skills that hunters have been using ever since firearms were invented. And bows too, heck, I suppose you can go back to spears, but a hunter is more than just somebody running tools and equipment and gear. We all like our gear and our equipment, and we like to have one up on our buddies by having the latest and the greatest. But I think it really behooves us to think about what, of all the stuff we have to pick from, is most likely to be useful in a deer hunting situation. And not very many times that I found a nine pound rifle with a 28 inch barrel and a giant scope on top of it is needed. So the guy that's just getting started and needs a mentor needs to think middle of the road. Don't go extreme in either direction. So, okay, the 30-06 has been around forever and it's a great cartridge and ho-hum, everybody's bored with it. Well, you don't need a 30-06 for a whitetail. You can use a 308, which is a shortened version of it. Or you can go to the seven millimeter, right? Which is just a neck down 
shoots a little bit lighter bullet, or a 260 Remington, which is almost exactly the same ballistically as that 6.5 Creedmoor. The bullet's diameter is 26 hundredths of an inch across. And you can get even down into the 243s, like the 243 Winchester. Um, there's a 240 Weatherby Magnum, not many people have seen, but any of the 24s are more than capable of cleanly taking a deer if you use the right bullets and watch your shots. And the recoil is so minimal, you are going to be a more effective shot because you're not worried about recoil. So, I don't know, the sky's the limit with cartridges. There's just so many good options out there. I think the biggest tip I can give anybody is just not to go extreme. You don't need to be thinking a thousand yards. You don't need to be thinking 300 grain bullets, knockdown energy and all this stuff. It's just overblown. As you were saying, Bruce, if you've got a rifle that you're confident in and you can use it and make shots out to 200 yards, in most whitetail country, that's going to do the trick. So I would think along that line. Now, if you have a special setup, like a lot of guys in the Midwest will say, I never shot a deer. I've never seen a deer more than 100 yards away. Well, you've got it made, buddy, because anything is going to work out to 100 yards. You could easily shoot the 30-30 or even a smaller cartridge with less velocity than that. So, yeah, don't worry about it. But if you hunt broken ground where you might have to shoot across a cornfield or a wheat field, and there are a lot of guys in the Midwest who are doing that now, I mean, you might have a tree stand or a ground stand overlooking a, a woodlot by a cornfield where you could expect deer to be moving through the trails in the woods or out in the corn. But the other side of that cornfield might have a buck on it. And he's 300 yards away. Suddenly, your 30-30 is looking a little inadequate, right? So then you're better off with something like your 280. That's going to work at 20 yards in the timber just as well as it's going to work 300 yards across that big field. But once again, you don't need a nine-pound rifle with a 28-inch barrel to do it. That seven-pound uh, Model 70 or 700 or a Mossberg or a Savage, Ruger, we've got so many great bolt-action rifles these days. You just get a good scope on that and learn to shoot, practice shooting at different distances. You've got it made. Bolt-action rifles, and then you have, you know, pumps, you know, the... Remington Slaymaster, I might be saying that wrong, but they got a pump, you know, 30 6 pump, 30 uh, right. 308 pump, um, and then you have the semi-automatics, you know, uh, the Browning yeah. semi-automatic. So there's a lot of different um, weapons that you can have. My preference is, and I've started all my grandkids and my son, uh, they all had bolt action rifles, and they had to be able to, you know, put the bullet, you know, we, our goal was meter of angle, MOA, one MOA. And then once they got that, if they said, well, I want to try something different or something, I said, fine. But I knew they could shoot a rifle, hit what they're looking at, and they were completely, you know, uh, tuned into that rifle. And things change, and people want to change and do different things. Um, You've got, I don't know how many rifles you have and or have used and have tried and have, have tested and everything over your career, but I bet you have one or two rifles that you really like to shoot. Can you talk about those? Mm. 
Well, how much time do we have? <laughs> Not that long. We'll, we'll have you back on. Yeah. We'll have you back on. Yeah, no, so, I, I hear you. I hear you, Bruce. And, you know, I really don't have one favorite because I, have, I'm, I don't have a lot of rifles compared to some guys and even probably some, some women. Um, I've never been a real big collector. Most of mine are for, for use, for hunting. And a lot of them come through here because of my job. I'll get a rifle in that I'm supposed to review for a magazine, and two weeks later, it's out the door already. So I get to work with a lot of them, but I don't get to, to use one consistently all that much. But one that I really, really appreciate and, and love, I haven't used it now for years and wish I could, because I'm always going off with some special rifle I need to report on it. Crimea River, huh? <laughs> but <laughs> I have an Ultralight Arms Model 20 short action in 284 Winchester, which is a little bit unusual cartridge. It was made by Winchester in 1963, introduced in their 100 Model 100 auto loading rifle and their Model 88 lever action, which kind of set it back. The idea was to make a short action cartridge that could pretty much give you the performance of a 270 Winchester. And the cartridge does that. It'll it'll ride right there with your 280 Remington. They shoot the same bullets. It's just a shorter case, and it's fatter. It was the first, more or less, original short fat case. Has a rebated rim. I've used that to take just about everything: elk, sheep, goats, coyotes, a little cow's deer down in Mexico, up to uh, the biggest whitetail I, I think I ever shot was on the run, and I took him with that little bitty rifle about 200 yards. Um, it, it's just a delight to use because it, it does what I was describing earlier. It fits me. It doesn't recoil badly, believe it or not. The rifle only weighs five pounds naked, a little bit under five pounds. So when Mel Forbes in West Virginia, just a creative gun maker and, and gunsmith, he designed this thing in the mid 80s to be the ultimate mountain rifle. Well, that's why I wanted it, because I was starting my career as a mountain hunter out here in the West. And I got a hold of it on a loaner to write about. And it, it just performed so beautifully for me. I was taking game out to 400 yards with this thing. No dialing. We didn't have range finders in those days. I just knew the maximum point blank range of that thing. And I could hold it on my target and hit it pretty much every time. I told guys that first year I used it, I shot 11 times and got 10 animals. The 11th shot was the second hit on the same animal. It was a mountain goat. And you're always supposed to anchor those so they don't walk off a cliff or something. And this one was a couple steps away. And the first shot broke its leg and put it down. It was a good chest shot. But I didn't want him going anywhere. So when he spun around, I put one in the other side. So I really didn't miss with any of those shots. And the ranges were, I'm not bragging here, but the ranges were literally out to 418 yards. And that's just stepped off distances so they could be off a ways. But those are extremely long shots. And I'm not the world's greatest shot, but I just had so much confidence in that little rifle uh, that it, it was like, told my buddies, it was like just launching a guided missile. Pretty much every time I shot, I would get something. So I uh, I didn't send that one back. I said, look, I got to have it. So I own it to this day. And that is one rifle that I love so much just because it's got that perfect feel. It, it carries so nicely, and I'm so familiar with it that I don't have to think about it. I just throw it to my shoulder, um, get a steady aim, and I generally try to find some kind of support 
I don't just fling shots offhand. And I think that's part of the reason that I, I'm successful in making most of my shots. I'm not going to shoot when I'm not 100% confident that I'm going to make that shot. I still screw up from time to time. We all do. But when you've got a rifle that you've used that often, you know it that well, and you know the trajectory of the bullet that you're shooting, you become that guy that we always talk about, beware the, the hunter with one gun because he probably knows how to use it. Well, that's the way it works with that rifle, or at least used to. If I picked it up again and started hunting with it, I'd have to do a little bit of practice again to make sure it still does what I remember it doing or I can still do what it's capable of doing. But yeah, that's that's one that I really appreciate. And it's quite unusual because most guys think an ultralight rifle like that, I mean, the whole thing weighs six pounds when it's field ready. Cartridges in the magazine and the sling on it and the scope, uh, but that's awfully light. And guys think that's going to kick like a mule, but it really doesn't. I think it's the, the stock design is just well done, straight line. Uh, recoil comes straight back and I think the fiberglass Kevlar stock idea helps moderate recoil a little bit they claim it's it flexes a little bit or somehow absorbs the the recoil forces a little bit better than wood I don't know that I could scientifically explain that one that might just be hooey but boy you certainly notice when you show we shoot this thing I've had friends uh, wives use it because it was so light and handy that they really enjoyed shooting it and they didn't even complain about the recoil. Uh, so a lot to be said for lightweight rifles if they're designed properly, like that Ultralight Arms Model 20. What kind of scope do you have on that? Mm, really small. Um, I've tried several over the years, but pretty much settled on a two and a half to eight power by 36 loopholed VX3. Um, and I have used that and a two to seven loophole but that's only a 32 or 33 millimeter objective really tiny scopes but i've used those to take game out to 400 a little bit over that and that's a long shot a lot of guys will say oh my gosh how did you ever hit something that far away with just seven or eight power well as we said earlier if you're at 10 power it's 10 times closer so if it's seven and eight power you're really getting things in there pretty close you just have to see the crosshair clearly on the center of the chest where you want that bullet to go you don't need a lot of magnification to do that. You know, Jack O'Connor used to pretty much always shoot four-power scopes, sometimes six. You read his stuff, and he was up in British Columbia, in I think Alaska, but he was on these sheep hunts and stuff, taking shots at sheep or 500 yards away with 4X scopes and scoring. But that man knew how to shoot. He shot a lot, he practiced a lot, and he knew what he was doing. So, yeah, you don't really need that big of a scope to get the job done. I was smiling when you said the, the two and a half to, to eight, because that's what is on my 280. There you go. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I've, I've, killed, I've killed a lot of critters with that. Um, I believe it. Yeah, I just killed a lot of stuff, and, and um, it fits me, and that's the biggest thing. Uh, we were at deer camp one time, and... Uh, a younger guy says, you know, why does that rifle sh shoot so well? I said, okay, uh, made sure it was empty and everything. I said, just pick it up, look at, pick out a target, pick out, a, a, you know, a can on the wall, you know, 50 feet away and, and, and put the crosshairs on it. He just picks it up, put the crosshairs on it. I said, that's why it just, it just flows to your shoulder. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I can't explain it any any 
better than that. Uh, it's just my, we have a 30 out six in a family that we call the rock and, and that's killed more big game from, you know, coyotes all the way to elk and, and, and goats. I killed my mountain goat with it. And that has hand loads, 165 grain nozzlers in it, hand loads. And I'll take that any place. Yeah. Well, I, I think you described it very well. I always tell guys to do just what you said. Just throw that rifle up and you should see your target in the scope. Keep both eyes open, focused on the target. You don't look at the rifle. You don't look at the scope. You look at that target and you just lift the rifle up. If it fits you properly, you don't have to fight it. It's just going to be there. And somewhere in that scope's going to be the animal. And if you're really good with it, it's probably going to be under the reticle already. That's a rifle that fits. So think of it as sort of a version of a shotgun. You know, we all know we're supposed to have shotguns that point where we're looking. So we we raise the comb, we drop the heel, we bend the canter, the camber, and we just get it set up so that when we put it to our shoulder, depending on our neck length and how fat our cheeks are and that kind of stuff, you got to make these little adjustments. But once you've got them done and you bring that shotgun up to your face and shoulder the same way every time, you're looking right down the barrel. So you no longer have to think about the barrel or sighting. You just concentrate on your target, throw that gun up like it's your left arm and swing, and you're going to hit your target. Boy, if you can come close to that with your rifle, rather than having to, to mess around with it and move your head up and down and over and lift it off the comb to see through the scope because it's such a big scope, it's mounted so high that you can't see through it unless you do that. You know, then you're, it's more like driving a tractor or, or running a tank or something. It's, it just can't be a part of you because it doesn't fit well. I hope you're um, hearing, you know, what Ron's sharing um, with you today because, you know, confidence, fit, uh, practice, and, um, and I, again, I'll go back to the beginning uh, what I said, you know, you want to have the gun match the terrain and match the critters you're after, your game. And if you do that and you're comfortable, uh, you're going to have some hell of a hunt. Yeah, absolutely, Will. And you'll be successful because you won't be spending your time doubting yourself. I think that's one of the problems with the, well, the more technological shooting that we're doing these days. I know men and women who can take these big long range rifles and go out and pretty consistently hit their targets every time out to 800 yards, a thousand yards. Uh, it's crazy, but it's not something that's quick and natural. I don't think the way we do it in the hunting woods, probably going to work out in open country for, especially for these people who have practiced that often, they can shoot from all kinds of crazy positions, not just lying prone with a bipod. But, boy, you're still talking about dragging that big heavy rifle through the woods on a whitetail hunt. And that's where I think it really falls short. On the other hand, there are a lot of guys now and gals who are loving these AR-15 style rifles. Semi-auto, no different than uh, Browning's original way back in the early part of the 20th century. Came out with what Remington was making it as a Remington Model 8 auto-loading rifle. Um, and it's still available as a BAR, Browning Automatic Rifle. Uh, the AR-15 is just a different design. You know, they put the pistol grip on it, and it just doesn't look like a traditional rifle. 
but you get people coming out of the military these days and they're not thinking grand as an auto loading rack. They're not certainly not thinking a bold action Springfield the way we grew up with. Their influence is that auto-loading AR platform, so they're looking for ways to stick with it because they know it so well. It's what they learned with. They didn't go out with grandpa's lever action and learn to hunt deer. They learned to shoot in the military, and the AR is the rifle. The only difference is this one, the modern civilian version, is not fully auto. So guys think, how can I make this work for whitetail hunting? Well, as you probably know, Bruce, the action on that thing is just too short for anything longer than the 223. So that's why they came up with things like the 6.5 Grendel. You can shoot a bigger bullet, goes about, what, 2,500 feet per second maybe? 120 grain bullet in a Grendel? Well, that'll take a deer nicely and there's hardly any recoil and you can run that through your AR-15. Another one that you don't hear much about, but I think is probably the best of the lot is the Remington AR-30. It's a 30 caliber, you'll shoot 125, 135 grain bullet in that. Um, you could even push 150, don't go really fast, but if you're hunting in the Midwest or the East where your shots are not more than 100 yards, easily take care of it with that. So there are ways to make them work. I'm not crazy about the AAR, not because I don't think they're, that they work, I just don't see where they have any advantage over a bold action or even a single shot. You know, it's not like we're shooting six or eight deer at a crack. <laughs> Most of us shoot one a day. If we're lucky and we're someplace like South Carolina where you've got a daily limit, I think, of one a day for the whole season. Out here in the West, you've got one tag. You shoot your deer and that's it. It can be a mule deer or a whitetail, but you're not going to get one of each. and You're not going to get multiples. So you really don't need uh, 20 shots or 10 or even five. If you're a good shooter, one will do the trick. So it's nice to have a couple of quick backups in case you need to finish them off kind of a thing. But I always tell my AR friends, why do you need this big, long magazine full of cartridges for a deer hunt? I can see it for feral hogs or something where you're trying to eradicate a problem. And then that's great. But, boy, I'm not going to carry around a magazine with all that weight hanging off the bottom of my rifle. But most guys will say, well, you can just stick a five-round magazine in, and there you go. They've got a point. And if that rifle works for them and they feel comfortable with it and they can whip it up the way I whip up my little bolt action rifles, more power to them. Go ahead and use it. But there's room out here for everybody in every style. You know, the older I get, the more I start to uh, reappreciate the lever actions that I started hunting with as a kid. They limit your range in most situations. But, boy, are they fun to work with. You know, they're just something about carrying it looking at it maybe it's because we grew up in that era uh we've got so many memories associated with them but it's just an extra challenge i guess it's like switching from a compound bow back to a recurve but an extra challenge and it's just a lot of fun so yeah just let's not fight about it let's just use what works for us and make your choice that's the wonderful thing about being in america we still have choices yes we do Ron, how does somebody get a hold of you if they want to reach out and say, hey, Ron, you said something and light bulb went on. I'd like to talk to you about it. How do they do sure. that? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, look me up on uh, the website, Ron Spomer Outdoors, plural, ronspomeroutdoors.com. That'll take you to my website. And I've got a bunch of videos on YouTube. I don't know how many, a few hundred or something, but I do a lot of rifle reviews, some scope reviews, some ballistic stuff. 
a bit of shooting on there, and then a lot of wildlife and natural history things. So the YouTube channel is just Ron Spomer Outdoors on YouTube. You can see some of that stuff. And of course, follow the magazines. I write regularly, <clears throat> excuse me, I write regularly for American Hunter Magazine, Sporting Classics, Sports of Field, um, doing a lot of stuff for OutdoorLife.com now, ballistics and shooting and cartridge comparisons, and Ducks Unlimited, a few here and there. I've written for dozens of magazines over the years, and I'm still cranking a few things out, so you can find me in places like that. And then there's Instagram and Facebook. Just look up my name, and you can probably join me on those, too. Thanks for that. Any final words for our listeners, Ron? You know, I just encourage everyone to support other hunters and, and shooters because we need it. We're not exactly the majority in this country anymore, and we're up against some pretty potent political forces who want to take away our freedoms and our rights. We need to stick together. So educate yourself. You know, Don't go off half-cocked and don't go off angry. No one who starts screaming and yelling, whether it's in person with your voice or typing, is going to influence or change anybody to their side. You've got to be realistic and rational and respectful of others. I, no matter how nasty a letter I get from somebody, I try to find something in it that I can respect because the person who, who wrote it is a human like me and you and everyone else. You know, they've got their, their pluses and their minuses and their foibles and who knows what kind of a bad day they've had. You know, maybe their spouse just left them. Maybe their dog died, you know, and they're getting ticked off. So I always try to cut them some slack and listen to what they're saying, if, even if I have to read between the lines. Give them some credit, and then if I find that what they've said is really off the wall and just plain wrong, I will say, I've learned, you know, and according to this and that, you might want to consider this alternative. And just try to calm them down, and it usually works because folks are – reasonable and rational. If you treat them with respect, they're going to respect you back. And I've had them go from calling me dirty names and I was full of it. And in a couple of interchanges on the internet like this, they suddenly my best buddy. And and then it works to everyone's advantage. They can share what they know and have learned and I can learn from them and vice versa. So that's what I would definitely recommend, you know, so support one another and support our hunting rights and contribute to conservation. You know, we always like to mouth off that we're conservation hunters. That's great, but do your part to contribute. Certainly by buying licenses and tags, you contribute. But you, you need to do a little more, I think. You need to get involved and in, in study some of this natural history stuff. Um, for me, it's always been a fascinating part of hunting. I've just always been interested in all aspects of nature including plants and trees and, and animals and how they interact. It just, you learn a lot more and I think you feel more fulfilled when you're in the field hunting, when you you know the, the plants and animals and the terrain even and the geology and how it's affected the production of the deer. Uh, so learn that kind of stuff and uh, join organizations that are helping out like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Whitetails Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, all of these because anyone who protects, improves, restores wildlife habitat of any kind is doing all of us a grand favor. And my father and grandfather, all the hunters and conservationists that came before us from way back in the late 1800s, saved what we have now. 
now it's our turn to do the same for the next generation. We've got a lot more people on this planet now, and they're changing our habitats to produce things for people because we all need to eat. But that's what destroys wildlife. When you convert everything to domestic crops and animals, you've got to, by necessity, wipe out the native game. You're going to get pheasants and deer utilizing corn crops and beans and different things, but if you remove too much of their nesting habitat and their escape cover, you're going to lose them. And that's why we have endangered species. Ah, thank God it's not whitetails, but, uh, you know, we've all seen problems with them, too. You've got the CWD and you get the blue tub. EHD pops up now and then. So we just need to stay on our toes and really pay attention to the conservation end of all of this, because without that, there's no wildlife. What are you going to hunt? Ron, it's been a pleasure, and I look forward to circling back around um, after we figure out, you know, what hunting is going to be available for us this year and and do some, um, you know, uh, an August show where we're saying, okay, what's coming up and where are we going and how we're doing it and how you should be prepared and, and things like that. So it's been a real pleasure, and I thank you so much for being a guest on Let's Talk Deer. Ah, thank you, Bruce. Have a good one. 